Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful James Watkins. James, are you ready to do this? I am, George. Thanks for inviting me. Excellent. Let's do this. James is a JD, a CFP, and an accredited wealth management advisor. He is the founder and CEO of InvestSense LLC, an investment education firm. I'm excited to have you on. James, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, on the personal side, my hobby is whitewater rafting, and I gave up golf. I finally realized that wasn't going to work. <laughs> and the other thing is I really love working. Um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm an attorney, a CFP practitioner, and an asset wealth manager, and I, I really enjoy helping people learn how to better manage and preserve their wealth. Excellent. So I know that when we talk about the world of investments, it's enormous. And I think that sometimes people can get lost in it. And then you can break that down a little bit further, talking about actively managed investments versus passively managed investments and sometimes that can be a really tribal conversation about which one is good or bad or right or wrong but you've developed a way to I guess for lack of a better term measure the I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to describe it and just let you describe what it is that you've developed that's really really beneficial for people Okay, George. Um, the way I like to the way I like to describe it is, I uh, came from a background. I spent a good deal of time as a compliance officer with several broker dealers. And there's a different standard right now. A lot of people don't understand. Broker dealers are allowed to put their best interests before those of their customers, so they can they can legally recommend something that may not be the best option for an advisor. Whereas a registered investment advisor is required to always put the customer's best interest first. So they can't put the commissions they receive ahead of whether it's in the best interest. With that in mind, I created a metric. I tried to keep it simple. It only requires you to have working knowledge and the ability to do, if we remember from elementary school, my dear Aunt Sally. If you can do multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction, you can use my metric. The metric is called the active management value ratio. And what it does is it allows investors, attorneys, and fiduciaries to measure the cost efficiency of an actively managed mutual fund. And as you said, right now the big issue is which is a better option for an investor or pension plan participant, actively managed, which comprises most of 401k plans or passively managed or index funds. And what my metric does is it's real simple. It uh, gives you, it allows the investor to calculate three types of returns, what the so-called nominal or stated returns. Those are the returns you see in ads in the newspaper or money magazine or the wall street journal. 
But a lot of the actively managed funds impose what's called a sales charge or a load. You need to you need to calculate that as well because loads drastically reduce the effective return that investor received. And then the final measure of return is what's called risk-related return. And that's really the number that investors should use when they're comparing mutual funds. And then we take that return and we compare it to the costs of the mutual fund. And then we take those numbers for the actively managed fund, compare them to a benchmark or index fund, and then we come to what I call the active management value ratio. And the key here is, as an investor, to get the maximum return, you only want to invest in cost-efficient funds. Got it. Which certainly makes sense. You know, if somebody had heard that and they never really thought of it before, they would say, okay, that certainly makes sense. But it's a matter of taking into consideration all the variables instead of just looking and saying, oh, I got a 10% rate of return. That, that, that must be good because there's potential drag on the investment in the form of some kind of a, 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 a an upfront cost of some kind. Is, am I understanding that right? No, you're absolutely correct. And a lot of people say, well, I don't know much about investments. So what I did in conjunction with my metric, I've got two blog posts and I've, they're free. And what I did was I put up a worksheet so people can use the worksheet all the information you need is freely available at Morningstar.com or the Wall Street Journal or Barron's. And then, as I told you earlier, the what thing people don't understand is a lot of people fall into what I call the it's only 1% trap. Mm. And they'll, you know, their, their investment advisor will say my fee is only 1% or the mutual fund will say our fee is only 1%. But what's interesting, George, is that that compounding effect of that 1% each year results in over a 20 year period, each additional 1% in fees and costs assessed by a mutual fund reduces an investor's in return by approximately 17%. Well, that's certainly a, uh, a powerful number right there. And yeah, I think that's very, very possible for people to just shrug off 1%. But obviously if you, if you look at it over a long period of time, specifically the 20 years you just referenced, it comes out to be 17%. So that's certainly that's certainly a, a very, very, very big number. So how does do you have a good way for somebody to be able to identify inside of their 401k, for example, what fund is an active fund versus what fund is a passive fund? What's What's the easiest way to do that? One of the easiest ways is to look at um, Morningstar.com has a number that very few people are familiar with. It's called R-squared. And R-squared will not only indicate whether or not the fund's active, but it will indicate whether or not the fund is a potential what we call closet index fund. And that's a fund that holds itself out as providing active management, but in effect, tracks an index fund so all you're doing is paying a substantially higher fee for little or no additional return if you're look and most of those funds if you look at the r squared the higher the r squared the greater the likelihood that it's actively managed the when you look at 
each uh, pension plan is required to provide a prospectus on a fund to an, a plan participant. That fund should clearly state in the prospectus that it is an actively managed mutual fund. Got it. <clears throat> so they receive that at least on an annual basis and always have access to that prospectus. And from there, they can, without question, identify whether or not the fund is an active or, or, or a passive fund. And normally, passive funds are considerably less expensive from an expense ratio standpoint. And I don't mean to use too much jargon here, but the expense ratio is what the investment costs for you to invest in it on an annual basis. So, And so the one of the purposes of the active management value ratio is to figure out if the money that you are paying to the investment company is worth it, right? Because there's, there's more nuance to it than simply, okay, I got a 10% rate of return in 2017. The investment cost 1%. Well, obviously, it's, you know, I got a 9% rate of return. That's, that's good. There's more that goes into it. There is more that goes into it. Um, the pr basic principle here is along what you were saying, but people will see that. They'll say, well, that fund returned 27%. I'm suggesting that that fund didn't pr uh, provide 27% because when you add it to an index fund, what you need to look at both in terms of cost and return is that actively managed funds incremental return. That is the return over and above an index fund and the cost. I'll give you a perfect example. I wrote a paper recently. One of the things you want to look at and that the active management value ratio provides is too many times investors will look only at the, active, uh, the annual expense ratio. Often overlooked is a cost that's often higher than the annual expense ratio, and that is a fund's trading cost. If a fund is actively managed, then it's going to incur trading costs. Uh, and like you said, I don't want to throw a bunch of jargons, but to give two really good examples of what I'm talking about, Fidelity Contra Fund and American Funds Growth Fund of America are probably in 90% of the 401k plans in America. They're well-known and they're trusted. Each year I do a analysis using the AMVR of the top 10 equity funds or stock funds in U.S. pension plans. Fidelity Contra Fund and Fidelity, I mean, American Funds Growth Fund are two that are always in there. Based on the end returns from last year, 91% of Fidelity Contra Fund's fees and costs produced only 5.9% of the fund's incremental return. American Funds Growth Fund of America, 82% of its funds, fees, and costs produced just 6.1% of the return. So clearly in that situation, an investor's overpaying and not getting a fair return for those extra costs. Okay, so you're saying that within the, within the Fidelity Contra Fund and within the Growth Fund of America, they're both so close to the index that you're really not getting a return above and beyond what you would be in an index for the cost. Right. Got it. Oh, that's interesting. 
And how did you figure this out? I, I just mean your your metric in general. Actually, uh, it came. It's based on two experts, leading investment icons. Uh, Charles Ellis wrote a book entitled "Winning the Losers Game," and he introduced me to the concept of don't compare the returns, compare the incremental returns. In other words, what is the incremental returns will tell you whether the actively managed fund, as you just said, are providing any benefit or, at all. And with the active management fund, there are two questions an investor has to ask. A, is the actively managed fund providing any positive incremental return at all? If not, then clearly it's not a good investment. But then the second question is equally important. If the actively managed fund is providing an incremental or positive return, does that positive return, is it greater than the incremental cost or the extra cost you're paying. And in this case, with both Fidelity Contra and the Growth Fund of America, you can clearly see once you use my worksheet, I'm not making. It's not cost efficient, and it's actually costing me money either in terms of excessive costs and or underperformance. Wow. How often do you recommend people Let's let's say that that I as um, that inside my four hundred one k I've got I, I'm invested in three actively managed funds and last year I used your metric and I determined that that these were valuable that there was that 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 I was that I was receiving value from these is this something I need to be doing every year or are these funds pretty consistently within your metric. Most of the bigger funds are pretty consistent. What I would watch out for is if there is a change in the management team of the fund. Mm. Um, otherwise, very rarely do the annual expense ratios or the trading change significantly. So for my purposes, I, I do consulting work for plans and trusts and some investors. What I look at is real quickly, you can look at the annual returns and see if they pretty much fall in line with what was in the past. You don't, I know people that want to do it quarterly. I do it for my clients, but I only because of what they expect. I would say just take a quick glance every year. And unless you see a significant change in the expense ratio or turnover, I think you can, you mark it off and again, monitor it on a, looser basis to make sure that they don't change the management team or something other precipitous like a huge drop in the market. Excellent. Excellent. Well, just just out of our curiosity, since we're talking very practical right now, do you have, what are your thoughts on target date funds inside of 401k plans? I'm not a big fan of them, and the main reason I'm not, George, is as it stands right now, and I know there's a lot of uh, talk about more actively managed TDFs or target date funds. Most of the target date funds are set up so that they only have to go back and rebalance or reexamine once a year. I just don't think that provides 
enough downside protection for investors. I think there should be, I'm not saying it has to be, well, I'm not establishing a timetable, but I think we need to look at the macro aspect of the market. And if we see warning signs, then TDS do not have a legal responsibility to go back in and maybe make changes. And I think that's the biggest threat to individual investors and plans is that the fund may not be responsive enough to provide the downside protection investors need to avoid unnecessary losses. Got it. Interesting. That certainly makes sense. Um, you read, you, uh, you mentioned a book by Charles Ellis winning the losers game. Any other recommended reading suggestions for investors? I've got one more in addition to that. Um, Burton Malkiel wrote a, uh, a book it's entitled Random Walk Down Wall Street. And from him, from Ellis, I got the idea of using comparing incremental returns. From Malkiel, I took the his concept or his finding rather that the two best predictors of a mutual fund's future success are its annual expense ratio and its turnover or trading costs. And I've done my own study you doing his uh, using his criteria and they're pretty good uh, they're pretty good predictors. Their track record is very very good. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Well, James, where can let's let's direct people to the worksheet that you mentioned that they can go in and 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 use. Where where can people find that? You can go to investsense i n v e s t s e n s e dot com, and then I actually have several articles I would recommend people reading, uh, and. That, there's a space there on the blog and just enter investment. I mean, uh, excuse me, the active management value ratio, and it will pull you to the direct you to those articles and you'll see the worksheet there. Okay. Excellent. And I will link all these in the show notes. So you'll be able to go to the notes of the show and find them. So, well, James Savage nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them, sir? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, given what I just talked about, Malkiel talking about the importance of cost and turnover. I think the easiest thing for investors to do is when they're looking at a potential investment, see what the costs are, see what the trading costs are, and then remember that each additional 1% is going to reduce your end return over 20 years by 17%. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. So thank you for that, sir. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show James your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. James, aside from directing people to your website, where else can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm also on Twitter. At Twitter, I'm uh, at InvestSense, and on LinkedIn, I'm under, well, if you enter investments, you can find me that way as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again, James. Thank you, George. I've enjoyed it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, 
and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.